Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the first Sunday in Lent for the week of February 18th, 2024. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to get in this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we are in Lent. I know it's this deep, reflective season, especially that we just went through Ash Wednesday this last week. I enjoy having a time of the year where there is this self reflection. We have a moment in time within the church year to focus inward and focus a little bit more on that relationship and have a time where we are, again, trying to slow down. And I know it's so difficult, especially when we look at the calendar for the next six weeks and how we are getting closer and closer to like the end of the school year and all the things that come with spring. It's difficult to focus enough to slow down. But I think there is a value to that, and many of us often miss it because we are trying to go so quickly. And I think in doing that, it allows us to be able to really connect at a much deeper level with our Creator, with the one who has made the foundations of the world. And I think that plays in really well to our question for last week, which was, what waste products are really the foundations for something to grow? And this can either be in a personal context or a natural context. And I think a lot of it is sometimes even the recognition that waste products aren't waste. I think about in the context of like in a personal context where when you're going to counseling or something of that nature, a lot of what you need to get through is your waste products and acknowledging how your waste products have helped you become the person that you are. Maybe there's some things that we're trying to work on to adjust, but through those, it's allowing us to also grow and grow forward. I think also a lot of times in natural context, like we talked about composting, we talked about even when a tree dies, when you think about it, it becomes homes for other things. It still is food and things that we don't necessarily understand the value of initially, but it's extremely important for the long-term sustainability of the ecosystem. And I think it forces us to look broader, look bigger, look beyond the borders of what we have to allow us to be able to actually contemplate what is actually going on. And I think as a church, as a world, as humans, I think we need to be thinking about this much more often. We need to be thinking about the ecosystem entirely that we're working with. We need to be thinking about how we fit into something much bigger than ourselves, much bigger than just humankind. And I think it's something that a lot of us, and myself included, needs to keep working on. So let's just jump into it. The Old Testament text this week is out of Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. This is the promise of the rainbow. This is the moment that we have where we have had the flood. It has flooded things And yet now we're having this rainbow. I would argue last time around in the cycle, we talked about this. And I would highly recommend checking out the last time I talked about it. I talked about prisms of light and how all this works. And I think there is value in looking back at that podcast. But the idea here 
of how God made a covenant with us that I see you, I see what it did, I see the pain of what you have gone through, and I'm going to set a reminder not only for you but also for me that I am not going to have something like this happen again. This type of catastrophe will not happen again. It is a sign, it is a promise, something between us that we can reflect upon and look at. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 25, the first 10 verses of it. And this is a psalm of laying into the trust, but also not feeling worthy at the same time. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. The first two verses. This idea of how God has been there. God is walking with us. But how often we fall, we stumble, and to continue for God to be with us and not just abandon us. And to remember that we are still growing, but don't just necessarily remember what we have been, but acknowledge that we are moving forward. And this is a process, I think, for us to remember also that we need to keep evolving and changing ourselves. We have to continue to try to grow and grow in that love and faithfulness and what that looks like and what that means. And I think a lot of times it's sometimes difficult for us to be recognizing that within ourselves, that we need to be doing that. The New Testament text or epistle text for this week is out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. This is, again, a reminder of what has happened that, yes, Christ has suffered for all of us. And in order for that, we have to also remember what has come before, that God has been patient with people like Noah building the ark and how long it took, that God then had the baptism, which isn't necessarily just to remove dirt from the body, but it's also this resurrection within Christ. And you'll see why we're getting that with the text that we're getting into this week. But it's this recognition of how when we are welcomed into the family of God, we are washed new, we are renewed in this recognition of renewing. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 15, going back to chapter 1 and going back to a section that we have had fairly recently. And this is the recognition of the baptism in the Jordan when Jesus comes out of the water The heavens are torn apart. The spirit descends like a dove. We hear a voice. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The spirit is immediately driven off into the wilderness where Jesus is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And angels were there taking care, waiting on him. Then we get to the part where I think it's also pretty amazing. So we have the baptism by John in verse 9, but by verse 14, this is just how condensed Mark makes it, John is arrested. And Jesus came to Galilee to proclaim the good news and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The time is fulfilled. And I think this is a recognition, and we'll get into it a little bit here in a few minutes, but it's this recognition of how things lock into place. And now it's the beginning of, no, this is when my ministry needs to start. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we do a shameless plugs for 
Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their sermon, brainwaves, podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to give me some direction, some different ideas, and there's just great resources over there. Lots of commentaries over many years they've been doing it. So, if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how to lay out the text week to week. I use that on a weekly basis, along with having the art, prayers, hymns, colors. Look at it even from other versions, having daily devotions. There's a lot of great information over here. And if you haven't checked that out, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publication. This is either a weekly or monthly newsletter, depending on which you would prefer, that goes through ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies, along with different ideas and different events that are going on to check out and look into. I think it's a great resource. I really enjoy their monthly newsletter, being able to look at all the different revised texts. And if you enjoy listening to a Faith and Science podcast every week for a half an hour, I think you'd really enjoy looking at some of the different commentaries that are over there. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. They will be the first link in the show notes. Finally, I also have to shout out again the Gustavus Academy for Faith, Science, and Ethics, this year being from June 15th through the 21st in 2024 at Gustavus Adolphus College. And I am looking at trying to make sure my calendar is clear so I am down there a little bit this year. It's a program that's designed for high school students talking about faith, science, and ethics and figuring out that line on where they blend together. This year's topic is how and why we sleep, revelations, and rest. I'm really excited. They're going to have a sleep doctor there to be able to talk about some of these different things. So if you haven't checked that out, please reach out. I have a discount code if that's something that you would be interested in attending or know someone who would be interested in attending. I'd highly recommend checking it out. And I would love to share that code with you. I'm looking forward to being there and I'm hoping that some of you will come along with me. This time through this, We have the promises of what we have heard with time and time again, and especially in baptism, the promises that come, this revelation of being washed clean, but yet not feeling good enough, humbling ourselves. But the word that just really jumped out at me this time is the time is fulfilled. Because time is such a weird thing when we think about it. It's of human construction, but yet not of human construction. How we measure time is stuff that we as humans have done so that it makes it easier for us to be able to communicate seasons and times and things that are moving along, periods of time. But yet God's time and our time seem to be on much different wavelengths. So the time is fulfilled coming from Jesus is interesting. Because it means that we're dealing with something at a different time scale, at a different horizon, at a different tempo. This week, what I want to talk about is something that is kind of hard. And especially as we're entering into a Lenten season, I think it's a good topic to be getting into. Because it is a time, but also recognition of just like what First Peter is saying, that there is also a resurrection, a transformation that happens in it. And I think this week there's 
potentially multiple different ways we can look at the resurrection that is coming out of the science tie-in this week. And so I'm giving you a little bit of forewarning because I feel like there's a couple different ways we can take this. And I think it's sometimes a little difficult to talk about. What we're going to talk about this week is migration. Now, many of us recognize what migration is. It's where usually an animal or a bird of some nature goes through some type of movement following usually seasonal changes. So, for instance, birds typically migrate north in the northern hemisphere in the spring and then migrate south in the fall. And this is for usually temperature reasons and food reasons are the big two, especially when we look at things like wobblers, for instance, where good sections of their diet is insects. So as the insects are dying off with cooler temperatures in the fall, it makes sense for them to start moving. But especially in the location that I'm at in Minnesota, we've had a weird winter. We've had multiple days where it's been 40 degrees Fahrenheit in February. We've had 40 degrees Fahrenheit days at the end of January. I was even making a joke at work how I was doing a spray paint project at the beginning of December and it was another day where I could have spray painted because it was 40 degrees at the end of January. We have had an extremely weird winter. But yet there's a lot of potential things that get hairy with this because when we're having these types of topsy-turvy types of winters, and I can even remember in my college days, which is getting to be 12-ish years ago, I distinctly remember having a spring day in February where we had 70-degree temperature days. As we're having these more consistent rising up of temperatures, this can be really hard for bird species because of a couple different things. First, we have to realize there are a couple different ways that birds trigger when to start migrating. First, you have to remember there is short distance, medium distance, and long distance migrations. So you have birds that are more common. Take, for instance, like the American robin. American robins are found throughout much of the United States, and the American robin will push a little bit further south, but it doesn't necessarily go into tropical areas in order for it to be able to migrate. It's a shorter distance migrant. It's maybe going to Texas, or it's maybe going to the southern part of the United States to hang out there. Morning doves would be another great example of this. As I've spent time with family down in Arizona, I always love welcoming the morning doves when I'm down there in the winter. When this all happens, then you have migrants who are like your wobblers, who are going more tropical. They are going to go much further distances. The difference then what happens with this is where you have your shorter distance migrants notice the temperature changes, and so they are able to start flying north earlier. Whereas when you have longer distance migrants, they are more being triggered off of circadian rhythms or typically more like daylight cycles that that it's this understanding it's time to go this is where things start getting hairy 
as things have evolved together as ecosystems, things typically happen at certain times and it ends up benefiting specifically in this case, birds. So for instance, when we're having these earlier springs, the downside to that is a lot of birds look to eat insects when they get back to these northern climates or their new homes. The reason being is especially aquatic insects have four to 34 times more omega-3 fatty acids than terrestrial insects, which especially after the hard work and especially after a longer migration, they are needing to refuel and especially refuel efficiently. And especially from this article from the Audubon Society out of Vermont, they were noticing this stuff and they took a study from New York that they were referencing here. With springs moving earlier, the birds are getting there earlier and then the insects aren't ready. So this puts additional stress and pressure on them. Additionally, the insects are also noticing this and their peak is shorter. And this is also causing a little bit of hairiness because there's times where the insects are pushing earlier. Some of the birds are there, but some of them aren't there yet. And we're getting a difference of five to 10 days earlier that the birds were arriving in the 1970s than they were in the mid-2010s when this study was done. So this recognition of this shifting of time is allowing then also this problem of the insects aren't lining up when the birds are getting there. And especially when you have your longer distance migrants, this is also causing problems. Well, now, like we talked about also, now if you're having false springs, you're having the issue of potentially some of these birds moving north into areas they aren't prepared for if they get freezing rain or snow. This is also hard on the insects and plants because they've maybe started to bud out and start getting ready and suddenly they get a flash freeze and now they're having issues. They aren't designed for this they may really suffer in this, which then also affects the birds. One of the things that has also been very surprising in this is then as they've started studying museum specimens, so museum specimens being birds that we have captured and have died, but that we preserve over periods of time, we are noticing that birds' body mass is generally getting smaller over the last 40 years and their wingspans are getting longer. The idea being that this is potentially to help them with the treacherous task of having to fly more quickly to get to the locations that they're having to go. And I'll attach actually another study down below that was taken over in Europe following the white stork going across the Sahara Desert. And one of the things that they conclude here is the timing of migration influences the environmental conditions individuals face, the energetic costs of migration, and the winter destinations where birds may be exposed to differing environmental conditions and distant threats. These findings highlight the ongoing challenges in migration biologically due to environmental change may have cr critical fitness consequences for long distance soaring migrants. And they talk about one of the things that used to happen is the birds would migrate earlier and wait at different locations for the winds to be right so they didn't have to 
fight the winds as much and it would get into more optimal areas for where they ended up. Whereas with some of these late migrations, because of the seasons changing so quickly, what that is allowing is that they're going more of a direct straight shot, but they're having to fight the winds, exuding more energy and not necessarily getting to as good of locations. And the article is timing is critical consequences of asynchromatic migration for the performance and destination of a long distance migrant. I'll attach again the article down below. It is quite fascinating. What this realizes and shows me more and more is it's the recognition on how much of this stuff is synced together. Even again from the Audubon article, one of the things that they were also starting to notice is that males and females were being looked at and syncing up differently. And again, that they were noticing that the males were shifting to being ahead of the females by over five days where historically it was closer to four. So now you're having this longer range of distance on when they are getting set up and is causing for more strain. You have to find more food to refuel these birds. So yes, we are seeing that the birds are adjusting to the change. They're adjusting to the climate. They're modifying themselves. They are going through survival of the fittest, Darwin's survival of the fittest, where we're getting longer wings, we're getting lighter body masses. But we're also recognizing that things are not syncing up as well as they once did and how things have evolved to sync up so that they are able to really be able to thrive in these different environments. And so I think there is a beauty to recognizing like what is talked about here in Mark of Jesus saying the time is fulfilled. Now is the time. Things are syncing up. But I think it's also us recognizing and acknowledging there is a beauty to the cycles of the seasons. There is a beauty to things syncing up. There is a beauty to that. But we also then have to acknowledge and recognize If we are noticing that things are no longer syncing up, what is some of these issues? What are some of the problems? What are some of the causes in order for us to be at least acknowledging what we're leaving behind? Acknowledging that maybe there's things that we need to work on. Acknowledging like the psalm that, yes, don't hold these sins against me, but it's also the recognition of those sins. I think about in the last year, there's been a couple different things that we're having issues with. I know where I'm at, one of the big ones is going to be maple syruping, especially our neighbors to the north being such a precious resource to them. And with the temperature swings that we've been having, that's really hard on those maples. And it's really going to be hard to have good sap runs when you aren't having that nice varied of freezing at night and a just above freezing in the day so that you can get that nice cycle of sap moving up and down the tree. When it's starting and stopping and starting and stopping, it's harder on those trees. We talk about how we've had and the statistics show that 2023 was yet again the warmest year on record. And what has that done? We're having more fires, specifically looking at kind of the Eastern Europe region where we're having more olive oil issues because a lot of it burned last year. Prices then going up for olive oil is something that, again, is used in scripture as a sacred thing 
and a common item that they would use as part of daily living. And now it's becoming a harder resource to come by because of things are changing. Now it's this question, again, like we brought up at the beginning, Jesus came and it was a change of what was going on. But it's also this recognition of, is this change for the better or is it something that we decided to change that's now affecting more things and we're recognizing, oh crap, we might have gone too far or we didn't recognize the damage, the sins of what we have done. This is why Lent is amazing but also very difficult because we have to recognize that it is greater than just us. As an individual and as a species, this world is much greater than just us. We recognize in 1 Peter that baptism is not just water running over us to cleanse us. It is a rebirth. It is a resurrection of Christ within us. This rising up into the new person. We have signs of God promising that God is always going to be with us, that God is going to be there with us. It's the question of, are we going to acknowledge God being there? Are we going to acknowledge the beauty of what God has designed and set up for us to be able to recognize if we are making good, conscious decisions? I think when we look at bird migration, there is an absolute beauty to it. If you go back to... 2018, I don't remember the podcast off the top of my head, where I go through and talk about Sandhill Crane migration and go and share some of the recording. It's absolutely amazing. It's a huge life memory for me spending time seeing hundreds of thousands of Sandhill Cranes stopping in Nebraska to do their big migration. It's incredible. And to think about how many of these other migrations that are still significant, but we just don't see the same way. And how things are all synced up to work. And now they're not syncing up as well. If we think about it from like an automobile perspective, the timing is not quite right. It's not running as smooth as it should be. And yes, it's adapting and changing, unlike your automobile. But it's it adapting and changing for the better. And that's a hard question to think about. So the question I have for you this week is, have you thought about the timing of migration before? Have you thought about the timing of migration before? And what does this make you feel? I think migration is amazing. Even small migrations, if you think about it, we watch even deer move through different areas. They're not necessarily prototypically migrating, but they definitely have certain spots they go to more in the summer than in the winter. I think we as humans, especially in the developed world and the societies in which we're in, we're so used to being stagnant in our migration period. We'll fly somewhere for a trip, but not for an extended period of time, par se, outside of our snowbird friends. So there's, I think, a point where we struggle to recognize this as much as we should. And the aspect of how potentially we are affecting things that are much greater than we understand. Because yes, the birds eat the insects, but the birds also eat the berries to be able to spread the berries so that we have more fruit around for us to gather, or bears to gather, or nature to see, or for the ecosystem to sink up itself. It means we have to recognize and acknowledge that we are part of the ecosystem. We have to acknowledge that we are part of the time being fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is coming near. And that we are part of that. 
we have to acknowledge that this timing is not just of human thing. It's a God thing, which means it's also a natural thing. And that's hard for us to get our heads around sometimes, is to think about how everything is connected. Jesus is able to show that. The baptism, John are being arrested, and now is the time. The connections are made. It is time. I've been tempted by Satan for 40 days, but now is the time. And we have to acknowledge and recognize that even though we don't maybe directly see the effects of what bird migration is doing, there are a lot of indirect effects. Simple things of enjoyment of hearing the birds to the direct effects of them helping our ecosystems, doing work way beyond what we're willing to do. <laughs> to spread seeds, to help with connecting and being food sources for other species. It's an important job. And we need to be willing and able to acknowledge it and acknowledge the time of a globe that spins at a much different tempo than what most in the developed world really like going at. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge, an important thing for us to tap into, an important thing for us to kick off Lent thinking about. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.